Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you as we recap the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. It's our point standings edition of the podcast. True. We're just going to talk point standings for the next three hours. Plus international races, silly season. <laughs> yeah, international races, just when we thought we were done, they pull us back in, right? That's always that's always right. But first, we'll start with the Indianapolis 500. More on those other tidbits later on in this episode. But first off, Marcus Erickson had a strong day as he claims the win, the second Swede to ever win the Indianapolis 500, joining Kenny Brack in 1999. Great day for Sweden. Marcus Erickson wins the race. Felix Rosenquist led a handful of laps, comes home in fourth. And a great day for Ganassi, despite some uh, earlier pitfalls. And a great day for Aaron McLaren SP. And Alexander Rossi coming home in fifth place. A lot to get to, and we'll get to our three things in just a minute. But, I mean, w- what a performance by Erickson, right? I mean, it feels very similar to Elio's race last year, where you just kind of hang around. You find yourself in the top ten, you know, most of the most of the race. And then you pounce when it matters. He absolutely didn't. He was almost the forgotten Ganassi driver going into the race, right? So much was was talked about about Scott Dixon being on pole and Alex Pillow on the front row and, and Jimmy Johnson, of course, and, you know, Tony Kanaan even being talked about as a former winner, you know, does he have a chance to win a second? And as Marcus Erickson that avoided all pitfalls, whether, you know, of his doing or not his doing, and clearly... Uh, had the best car over the final stint of the race and and was really able to bring it home. And, you know, despite almost the win being taken away from him by the red flag that his teammate brought out, or his teammate at least brought out the yellow, Erickson was able to hold off Pato Award going into turn one uh, on lap 199, and uh, effectively that was it. Um for the race and and congratulations to to Marcus Erickson gets the win and further cements himself as a uh, long-term Kip Ganassi driver and he did something that is often not done in this race he led at lap 190 and ended up winning the race very few times that's happened, particularly recently. But uh, Erickson with that Ganassi setup, you know, we saw how dominant Dixon's car was throughout the day. He had the best car, and you know, the the worst mistake of Scott Dixon's career cost him the win at the Indianapolis 500, uh, his second win. You know, Alex Pillow was strong, but he was bit by untimely yellows. But also, I think Chip Ganassi Racing taking unnecessary risks as well. Danger zone. Right? I I don't understand when you have a clear-cut top cars out there while you're you're going to the last possible moment to stop and fuel. It it bit Alex Pillow having to pit when the the pits were closed for a splash of fuel, and it almost beat, or it almost bit Scott Dixon, and luckily the pits were open. And it bit Scott Dixon last year. Absolutely. And so, you know, so much is made, you know, whether this 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 race can be won or lost in the pits. And for Chip Ganassi Racing, it was lost in the pits with two of its drivers, 
But Marcus Erickson was able to save the day for Ganassi and get Chip's first Indy 500 win in 10 years, which when I heard that shocked me. And then you start mentally going through it and say, yeah, it has been that long. Dario's third win in 2012. It's crazy that it has been that long, but you were, you were correct. That's how long it has been. And I think uh, we'll start with our takeaways. I'm going to stick with Marcus Erickson. If you have another point with Erickson, feel free, because I think there's just a lot to get to just with him on winning this race. And I think for me, look, Detroit is probably not going to be a great result for him, even though he won one of the doubleheader races last year. But you look at what he's done since the start of Detroit a year ago, this courtesy of Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, 16 race run in the calendar. No driver scored more points than Marcus Erickson at 523. Pillow at 513. Newgarden 501. Award 489. Heard of 443. And we talk about how consistent he has been, especially the end, I believe, of last season, where he was really strong, really consistent with his results. Really kind of came on at the end of 2020 with a string of top tens. But obviously, to win championships, you have to get race wins. And you have to get podiums, and Alex Pillow did that last year with three wins and just an insane podium finishing record going into the month of May. But what Erickson did, I think, on Sunday, what he's done for the most part this season outside of throwing away a top five at Long Beach, he has been a championship contender. Um, I mean, his, his worst finish, 22nd at Long Beach, 12th at Barber, otherwise all inside the top ten. Last year, he had a poor race at Long Beach to close the season, but before that, uh, after the Indy 500, top 10 in every race after that. So, I mean, he's a a guy who's kind of found his stride, not only with this team, but in this series as well. And you look at it four years in, he's a legit championship contender. I I don't think we think about that because of who is on his team. A lot of, not distraction, but a lot of attention on other drivers. Obviously, you mentioned Tony Kanaan, former winner. Jimmy Johnson is seemingly uh, attracts a lot of attention every week, at least on the broadcast side. And then you have Alex Pillow, defending series champion, and Scott Dixon, one of the greatest IndyCar drivers of all time, on the same team. So he's kind of the forgotten guy, right? And, and I think he's a legitimate title contender. And I think that this race kind of cemented him as being one of the top guys in the series, even though we never seem to talk about him. And I, I don't know when this is, but you can openly question it, and if somebody has more time than me, they can look it up. But when's the last time this deep into the season, six races in, that Scott Dixon was looking up to not just one, but two different teammates of his above him in the point standings, which is exactly where we see it heading into Detroit. Erickson atop at one, Alex Pillow at three. So I've been one saying, you know, Alex Pillow, at least on track, has surpassed Scott Dixon and now potentially make the case that Marcus Erickson has done as well. Oh, absolutely. I think you can make a solid case this season, obviously not career-wise. Correct, yes. But this season you can make a very strong and solid case, not just because he won the Indy 500, but look, I mean, if he didn't win the race, he would have finished in the top five. And and Dixon can't say that. And, and Dixon had the dominant car all day, and we'll get to more on that. But I think, like you said, I mean, they have what we would think going into the season, two title, uh, title contenders, but maybe we got one of those title contenders wrong. Right, and, you know, 
I'm not saying that Scott Dixon isn't in it still at this point. You know, I don't think Scott Dixon is ever not in it unless he's mathematically eliminated. So, uh, you know, potentially we could have three Ganassi cars going down the stretch in the final two, three races battling potentially for a championship. So a lot to take out out of Marcus Erickson's victory, but, you know, clearly a, a well-deserved victory and, and got some help, albeit from his uh, his teammates' uh bad luck or mistakes all right what's your first takeaway let's talk about team penske Ooh, <laughs> a little bit right so best finish for team penske was what 13th with joseph newgarden and you know joseph newgarden over that final course of pit stops had fought his way up um into the top 12 i want to say after dropping early but it sounded like and and I had to ask you, and and I never really saw it officially. Sounds like he stalled the car. That's in my the final underst- pit stop. I don't know if it was the final pit stop, but he stalled the car. Yeah, on, on because on then one he of the dropped down to like twenty fifth and had to fight his way back up. But once again, Team Penske, uh, when the start of practice happened, we felt they were they're in pretty good shape, you know. But it was it was bad news on on qualifying weekend and it just continued into race weekend and you know for a team that with 18 Indianapolis 500 wins and strives you know on having their best performances in the month of May it was another month that left a lot to be desired for team penske all right i'm going to run down some finishes since 2019 when simon pagina won the Indy 500 for penske okay. all right so in 2020 Best finish for the team, and this is with four cars. Fifth, Joseph Newgarden. I don't really remember him being much of a contender, though, in that race. It was tough to pass that day. We had, what, like three contenders, Sato, Dixon, and then Rossi right. in that race, essentially. Uh, 11th for Elio in his final race for Team Penske uh, at the 500. You had 14th, Will Power, Simon Pagano, 22nd. All right, we go to 2021. Simon Pagano finished third, but remember, he qualified well in the back of the field. And so, yeah, he charged through the field. But when you qualify poorly, just being able to finish strong, I think, says something. Because he started all the way back. Let's see here. I want to say it's 26th. Yes. So he started pretty far back, 26th to third. Okay, great drive. You look at his teammates, though, Newgarden, 12th, McLaughlin, 20th, Will Power, 30th. And then you have this year, obviously, you you ran down their, their stats. Look, this is now three years in a row where they've been a non-factor in qualifying, right? Correct. And outside of a fifth for Newgarden in 2020 and a third for Pagina, where he was never contending for the win... But he charged late. In fact, I think his pass to move into third came, I think, on the final lap of the race last year. So not really a factor in continuing for the win. Yeah, they have two good results out of what, like 12, you know, 11? Yeah, I mean, in defined good, I mean, zero podiums. Well, one with Pasha well, last right. year. But it, it, what's going on, right? And, and I get it, Chevy was clearly down on power not just in qualifying speed they mclaren didn't seem to have any problems on sunday no that's true so it's not chevy 
I just um, at this point, I feel like there's some some introspection going on with Team Penske and going, what is going on? Because you could say that Team Penske was not the best Chevy team at the Indianapolis 500 this year, or the month of May, for that matter, or at least the two weeks of May. You could McLaren. argue they were the third best Chevy team you behind could say Ed Carpenter, Carpenter Racing. Racing. Yeah, absolutely. Because Connor Daly last year, along with Renus VK, and then this year with Connor Daly, you know, carrying the flag, if you will, for the team, uh, with VK crashing out early and Ed Carpenter failed to restart after the red flag, had to go to the back of the field. But, I mean, they're the third best team now the, this last year at the at the 500. I mean, that's, that says something. And for a team that has dominated this season up to the month of May as far as results go and getting race wins. Right. Look, I, I get it. They've won series championships. Uh, they've won 500s in, in recent years, but it is a very surprising trend that they've gone this long without an 8500 win and that their best driver on their team, Joseph Newgarden, outside of a third place all the way back in 2016, is never really felt like a – well, in – for the record, that was with Ed Carpenter Racing, so that yeah, wasn't even with with Penske. With so, Penske. I mean, he's never really felt like a true contender for the 500 with Penske. He and, just seems like a natural pick because he races for Team Penske, and he's the mo- arguably the most talented driver for Penske right now, and, and probably the most talented driver in the series to have not won the 500 so far. Absolutely, but at this point, you know, I, I don't know if you come back next year, Penske, and be like, I, I just feel like maybe all of the the assets that Team Penske has to put into its cars, I feel like maybe at the end of the day, they're overcomplicating things at the Indianapolis 500. And I'm not going to get into, you know, wickers and, and all this stuff and different things. All I'm saying is keep it simple. You know, trust your drivers because you have three really ultra-talented drivers you know, we heard from the in the reading in the mailbag from Marshall Pruitt, there was some top secret, you know, rear wing setup. Yeah, that they, they had. They, that had they tried to cover up that custom not allowed custom wing covers, so that rival teams couldn't see their wing settings and downforce choices. Well, the cars were in gasoline alley and on pit lane, but that seems uh, almost like that a, was confiscated because, well, wing covers are prohibited in the rules. So that, that to me, <laughs> it just sounds like you're overthinking things. Right. Nobody else has their wings covered. Ganassi didn't. Ed Carpenter didn't. McLaren didn't. And all three of them were faster than you over the two weeks of May. So, you know, at this point, you know, maybe it's something where, you know, all that effort into May, maybe they need to, you know, bring it back a little bit and just don't overthink things. I know that there's a a lot I've read about Chevy is finally relented and agreed to adjust engine mapping for driver's preferences and you know if that may play played a role and while honda's clearly focused more on winning the 500 and that's paid off to be fair right because since honda and chevy have been the uh, engine manufacturers since 2012 i guess throwing lotus for that one season but honda seven chevy four when it comes to any 500 wins and honda's won three straight of them i feel like both manufacturers want to win the Indianapolis 500. 
more than they wanted to win the series championship. And rightfully so. Exactly. So I think you can spin it if you're Chevy, saying, well, you know, look at this, what we're doing here, here, here. But in the end, three straight years without a Chevy champion at the Indianapolis 500 is concerning for Chevrolet, especially when your top team isn't performing up to snuff. But McLaren didn't have a problem. And to your point, ECR didn't have a problem. So maybe at least for the two weeks of May next year, Team Penske should consider partnering with one of those teams. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I It really could be as simple as overthinking and overcomplicating things like you said. But it, but it's puzzling, right? I mean, the results are puzzling. Yeah, and it's not like they're being bitten by bad luck or this, that, or the other. It's just they're not showing speed. They didn't show speed on qualifying weekend. And they didn't show pace last Sunday either. And they were a mere afterthought. I think the first time Scott McLaughlin was talked about at length was when he crashed. And I and Joseph Newgarden, I don't know if he was ever talked about. He somehow snuck himself into the top 10 at one point. But, I mean, he was never really a factor. And it is, I guess, ironic that since Penske built the Speedway, he hasn't won the race with his team and they've struggled there. Right? I mean, I imagine it's coincidence, but I don't know. The longer it goes, the more concerning it gets, I feel. The more it really makes you wonder. Not that I'm feeling sorry for Team Penske one iota. No, no. Not at all. Not at all. All right, <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your second take? Let's talk Scott Dixon. Okay, let's do it. He had, I think, one of, if not the most dominant car... I have seen on race day at the Speedway, I, I guess what, going back to Montoya, winning in 2000? I mean, I, I cannot recall seeing a car so dominant in the races I've attended. I missed a few years here and there, but starting in 2003, I cannot recall seeing a car and a driver so dominant at the Speedway, basically who could pick his spots whenever he wanted, was running out front, would swap out, and it, it did kind of look like to me early on that okay he's laying back he doesn't want to lead but then later in the race he, he kept going to the front to a point where i was starting to question like okay what are you doing here you're getting worse fuel mileage you're maybe overthinking things you have a great car just wait till the end right i mean he's running way out in front and it it seems like a ganassi thing where they will lead a ton of laps over the years and we've seen this in the last what 15 or so years where Quite often, they're the team that's led the most laps in the race, right? Seems like it, yeah. So, he could pick his spots, he could do whatever he wanted, but then as soon as he made that final pit stop on lap 177, I saw that wiggle, and my first thought was, wow. He Did just... you see it live? Yes. Okay. Oh, I, I saw it with my own eyes, and I thought, wow, it's happening again. Yep. I, I could not believe it, and... For the guy that we say has the the best luck in the world in racing, he's been bitten at the Indianapolis 500. But make no mistake, this was not bad luck. This was a Scott Dixon mistake. Yeah, and he's owned up to it, and you you feel bad for the guy, right? I mean, this was his race. Yeah, not too much, month. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess he has some advantages that the rest of us don't look, have. Yeah, look, we were a mere foot away from Emma Dixon on, what was it, Friday, Carb Day? Carb Day practice. I don't feel sorry for Scott Dixon one iota, okay? <laughs> I feel at least a little bit bad for the guy because he he had everything set up, the pole, dominating the race, everything was clean, 
nothing you know went against him like last year with that crazy opening pit stop where he he ran out of fuel and and everything just went haywire and he was a non-factor but it's just wild to see like you said a driver of scott dixon's caliber to have only won this race once and at first i thought well you know like it's hard to say that he's cursed or unlucky like he won the race right he won the race in 2008 but this is the modern day mario andretti comparison like we're seeing it right in front of our own eyes Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if it's if it's easier to swallow or or harder to swallow for Scott Dixon that this was a mistake of his own creation is he had the most dominant car all day. He didn't need to squeeze every single tenth of a mile per hour, a tenth of a second on that in lap to ensure the fact that he won that race. He just needed to have a smooth in lap, get in allow the pit crew to do its thing, get him out in a timely manner, and have a solid outlap. And he was still going to be just fine with the way that car was running. And he pushed the envelope a little bit too much, and it bit him. And it almost bit him earlier in the race when Ganassi refused to pit him until the last possible moment, and then the caution comes out. And it was, what, a half a mile an hour over the pit speed? I mean, yeah, but, you know... That's where it's, and that's the thing too. Like it was, it was not a judgment call. It's not a, you know, oh, would the stewards reach it? No, this was computerized. He went too fast and was penalized for it. And another Indy 500 potential victory slipped away, and it's it's just hard to believe. But that's where we're at. And for Scott Dixon, we assume he'll be back next year with another opportunity. And a guy who's become one of the great qualifiers at the Speedway. But for whatever reason, race day has not gone his way for quite some time. All right, what's your second point? Uh, the second point, can we just talk about the uh, the the day in general? And you were there; you had boots on the ground, yeah. And you know, it, it just felt like like the Indianapolis 500 was was back in a lot of ways in person and. And on TV, it looked great. It sounded great. Pre-race stuff was great. Thunderbirds were amazing, especially that second flyover uh, during back home again in Indiana where they kind of split off and make that star. That was awesome. But um, I just wanted to add, like, did it feel as big as what it felt like on TV? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Getting to the track, now we left at about 7.15 or so from the north side of Indy. Getting to the track, no problem. Parked at my brother's house. Thought we'd run into a lot of traffic. It was not bad. Leaving the track, unfortunately, took uh, about two, two and a half hours. Now, where were you? You didn't just go back to your brother's house? No, that's where we parked. Oh, okay. I would have just stayed at your brother's house for a while. Yeah, we should have just stayed and hung out because, well, it was not moving. And I know a lot of people had traffic flow issues, so hopefully that's something they fix next year. I mean, what can you do? What, like... Traffic flow. Explain it to me. That like, what can you fix? It's in the middle of a neighborhood. Yeah, th- I mean, they had double lanes going out, but I guess there were different closures. You know, getting to Crawfordsville or in Lynnhurst and other areas, and it was just kind of a Clark, kind yeah. of a mess. Yeah, with that. So that notwithstanding, and, and also let's factor in the fact that it was a huge crowd, three hundred twenty-five thousand estimated there, about five thousand short of a sellout. From what I feel we've read. Like- Anytime you get 325,000 people together, there's going to be issues traffic wise. <laughs> That's me. True. So I, I thought, though, as far as the event itself, like the buzz was there. It felt that way, though, 
for several weeks, right? I mean, sure. it, it's felt that way leading up to it. The crowd was packed. The weather was excellent, especially where I sit high up in turn four where you get a little bit of a breeze. Now, when the race was over and we came back down the, the stand, it felt very hot. But good, good breeze where you guys were at. Then. Yes, That's good. A, a good breeze. It just it felt nearly as big as the 2016 race. Like it really felt really close to that. Now, what got the biggest cheer from the crowd over the course of 200 laps? Probably Connor Daly taking the lead. Okay. I mean, that's not really a surprise, though. No, not at all. I mean, they made a, a big deal about it on the broadcast, and for good reason. I just didn't know if anything kind of surpassed that. But uh, it was good to have have the tradition back with with everybody in the seats and, and the, um, the, snake, the snake pit and all that stuff. All that was missing was balloons. <laughs> which i don't miss I, I didn't feel like i didn't feel cheated out of a balloon launch i don't know about i you know. didn't notice it i guess there were some rogue balloons released in turn two or something i was going to ask you if you took a rogue one no. rogue helium balloon and just <laughs> lifted it up i did not and one thing that i noticed on the tv broadcast watching it sunday night the flower boxes were back yes which is huge absolutely and they look exactly like the flower boxes that you can get at walmart with the different like <laughs> I, they don't need to be fancy no but it was great to see the flower boxes and and you know them and go back and forth when the cars went by so yeah that that felt right that was probably roger penske's top priority is look or bringing back the flower boxes. If this deal goes through, if this three hundred million dollar goes deal goes through, I'm damn it, I'm putting those flower boxes back. <laughs> I thought that was a, a really nice touch, and it, I don't know. I, I thought the track looked great. I mean, I, I thought the facilities looked amazing. Not again, not a surprise. Things you expect with Roger Penske, everything's going to be immaculate. And perhaps the most important thing, and you texted me. An hour, hour and a half before the race, that one row below you, somebody was drinking what? I saw Not a, rich energy. Yeah. I saw a Foster's oil can yes. uh, in my section a few rows down. So I don't know what the hell's going on, because we were down there at Carb Day, <laughs> and it was all Miller Lite, Coors Light, and that's fine. I don't know if, there's, if they got the Foster's oil cans uh, on the front stretch. Um, I'm guessing and, they brought them? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're so infatuated with these things like I am that they brought their own. I don't, I don't know, but uh, yeah, just just when we thought I had figured out the mystery that they don't have them there, somebody brings them and is drinking out of one. So um, yeah, I don't know if they're selling them elsewhere or they brought them, but you know, it, it was if you know similar to the flowers, it, it's not an actual Indy 500 without some some uh, Foster's oil cans. <laughs> Basically, things back. You know, you like you said, the flowers are back. Fans fully back. Foster's oil can also back. I lost track. Who's up? Is it me? Is it you? Um, I don't know. I'll go. I think yeah, it's, it's my your second. Yes. I think. Uh, let's talk rookie of the year because I know this was. <laughs> this was. Uh, look, I, I'm going to preface it by saying I think it's blown way out of proportion. But the fact of the matter is, it's not rookie of the year. It's basically a popularity contest, right? We saw it with Kurt Busch. We saw it with Fernando Alonso when he won it. Now we've seen it with Jimmy Johnson as well and you know how we're measuring rookie of the year matters in who gets voted so do we know what the parameters are for rookie of the year or is that only given to the voters 
Well, it's not just on-track performance. It's also right. off-track. Is it all-encompassing? Is it being an the, ambassador for the sport? Correct. The, your results in practice, qualifying, and the race all factor in. Right. I think it's an all-encompassing type award, right? So I could go both ways. I mean, I feel like Jimmy Johnson said all the right things over the couple weeks, and everybody will say, well, Malukas did too. Yeah, but David Malukas wasn't on late shows. No. Like Jimmy Johnson was. I mean, in terms of bringing eyes to product, and we'll talk about that later because there's significantly less eyes on product last Sunday. Um, you know, obviously, Jimmy Johnson crashed out, almost cost his teammate a win. David Malukas puts it 16th, which, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's okay. Fine. But, I mean, he started 13th, and now, granted, I mean, the fact lost... that his car was competitive to be in the top half of the field after his crash on carb day, I think, says something. Right. I, I feel like if David Malukas is in the top 10, it's a little better argument to say that Malukas deserved it over Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. I just feel like we should stop looking at this as an award that is for on-track performance only. Well, that's not how the award is given out. I know, but maybe we should also factor in that it's probably not the priority or even, you know, a significant priority on what you're doing on track. Basically, it's who's the most popular rookie that year, right? I mean, that's what the award is. Yeah. You know, so when we talk, you know, and it happens in other sports, right? When you talk about most valuable player, we're, it's usually the best player on the best team. Right or the best player in the league, it's not technically the most valuable, you know. So it, it's kind of semantics, you know. When you look at rookie of the year, maybe we should just say, look, it's the most popular driver that's making his first appearance at the Indianapolis 500. Because that's pretty much what it is. And David Maluka, as this is pointed out by Trackside Online, highest finishing rookie the third time in the last six years for Dale Coin Racing, they've had the highest finishing rookie. Obviously, it happened with Ed Jones in 2017, who was with Coin, uh, and Alonzo. So, I mean, <laughs> this is sadly becoming a common trend for the team. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, I, I think I, I do feel like what David Malukas, you can make a case for him, um, you know, deserving of the award. You know, Jimmy Johnson did a lot as well. And, you know, if Jimmy Johnson doesn't crash, he probably finishes comparable, if not higher, than Malukas. Yes, I, I would agree. He also led a lap. He was he qualified higher. He had faster practice speeds, obviously the off-track stuff, and there was a lot of beef on both sides as far as defenders, not, not necessarily the drivers themselves. Malukas tweeted he was disappointed, but I don't feel like he did anything uncouth Right. After I know people took issue with Uncouth, because it's a good word. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I mean, people are trying to poke holes in why Malukas didn't win it and why uh, Jimmy Johnson did or shouldn't have, and it's just kind of like, in the end, who cares? Who remembers Rookies of the Year? Yeah, I I mean, I certainly don't most of the time. (laughs) Right. Who who was Rookie of the Year last year? Like, off the top of my head, I I I couldn't tell you. Like, I really could not tell you. No, I mean... I know when it's a notable thing because we remember 2017, right? We remember 2014, Kurt Busch versus Serge Karam. Uh, We remember this year, but otherwise, like, I honestly couldn't tell you. It's only 
a point of discussion when there's an issue with it, right? Correct. I mean, it's just kind of, that's how much of a non-factor it is. It doesn't move the needle most years, but when it's somebody that we think somebody got screwed out of the award, that's when it's a big issue. And to me, yeah, it would have been nice for David Malukas, but hopefully for his career, missing out on an Indy 500 Rookie of the Year isn't the highlight of his career. I think Scott McLaughlin was Rookie of the Year last year, and he finished 20th. That's Yeah, I mean... Yeah, we and you know maybe they just need to, like I said, change around the points of of why these these are given away. And in the end, it's voted on by media. Maybe it should be the drivers, or maybe it just should be one person. Maybe it should be Roger Penske, and say, "Hey, Roger, we're wrapping up the weekend. Who is your rookie of the year? Who standed out for the last couple of weeks?" And whatever he says goes. I also thought it was interesting that there are people who are involved in IndyCar. You know, whether it's broadcasters, writers, whatever. Some were saying, I have a vote. I voted for David Malukas. Another said, I don't have a vote. And I thought that was surprising as well. Yeah, who does and, and who doesn't have a vote? Uh, you know, pretty interesting. All right, my third takeaway. And, you know, we really haven't talked about them that much. But I got to give credit to Aero McLaren SP and specifically Felix Rosenquist. How about that? For an excellent month of May. And by month, I mean both races. Because Felix Rosenquist, you could argue, kind of maybe saved his season with McLaren. Leading laps in uh, the Indy GP, finishing in sixth, especially after he was taken out by Pato Award in that race. And then finishing fourth in the Indy 500, being a contender for most of the race, especially the final stint. But, I mean... He's a guy who's qualified well most of the time this season, but the results weren't there early in the year. But, I mean, a, a couple of really solid results for him. Pato Award is so close yet again, fourth last year, sixth his rookie year, second this year, qualified better, led laps. Again, putting together a, a solid season so far, 13 behind Erickson in the championship. But that team as a whole. And then Juan Pablo Montoya started 30th. He's never really qualified well outside of his you know his first win back in 2000 went from 30th to 11th i mean people question you know whether he wants to do more races or anything but look we we saw him on carb day right and it was like oh that's juan pablo montoya like walking Grandpa right by walking by us. yeah i mean this, this is a guy who clearly looks older than just about everyone else on track and Another great result for him, and hopefully he's back again next year. We'll see. Let's hope so. I think he still has some some good drives in him. I, I don't see it ever blossoming into something bigger than the Indianapolis 500. I think he's content with that. I think he's fine with that, for sure. But you could say Felix Rosenquist, and I don't think we're exaggerating here, could have lost his seat for 2023 in the month of May. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? He, I don't think, is now in a position to keep that seat, but he's in a much better position than he otherwise would have been if he would have continued his struggles that, you know, for the first, through the first four races. And he's a guy who, look, he had that horrific crash at Detroit last year, came back, struggled, started this year, looked like things were going to turn around when he won the pull at Texas, which historically a race you don't want to win the pole at 
because it doesn't really mean anything, unfortunately. Yeah. And then they had pit issues that day. He finished 21st, a couple other mediocre results around that. But two top 10s, one of them a top five, and double points can make or break your season, right? And so far, he now finds himself ninth in the standings. And it really hurts people like Scott Dixon, Scott McLaughlin, even Will Power and Joseph Newgarden, who have mid-pack to toward the end of the finishers, you know, in the lineup for points-wise. Yeah, it's going to be uh, very, very interesting going forward. But I feel like, man, you know, Rosenquist could have easily been, you know, 13th, 14th, 15th at this point in the standings, but he is ninth right now which, you know, is only 22 spots out of fifth at this point, 22 points. So a really good run for Felix. Obviously, Pato was there most of the day, not really a surprise. And Montoya, again, another solid result. What's your third takeaway? Oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. Let's look at what is going on here. And yeah, I guess we can talk about Andretti Autosport. Because no, I think pick, pick a different team. We're not going to talk about Andretti? Yeah, pick a different team. There's a team that I think you should uh, call out. For positive or negative? Why am I always the one that has to talk negative? I mean, because I've run out of my points here. <laughs> I mean, Andretti at least had a top five driver. There's another team we have not discussed at all. That is not was not good? Yeah. Hmm. Um. Or you can talk Andretti. I mean, I it is your tell call. Tell me what to do <laughs> over here. Um. You know, I guess you can look at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Bingo. And we we thought, you know, Takuma Sato was going to be maybe make a run. You qualify in the top 10. Well, he's with coin. Well, true. I'm thinking <laughs> last year. Yeah. But, you know, you look at Jack Harvey, who was never, never a contender. Nope. He, he was weeks. off strategy and was in the top six late. I mean, but Graham, Graham Ray Hall, strategy. once again, qualifies, what was he, 20th, 21st? Yeah, I mean, he, was, like he was nowhere I mean, all day. He was then never a factor. Everybody felt that after last year, he was really going to come into this this Indianapolis 500 and really have a chance and never really did. And right? then Lungard, the, the lone bright spot for the team because he started, what, 31st? Yeah, gets all the way up to, what, eight, 17th, 18th? 18th. And after a ninth at the Indy GP... Where a race we expected him to have more success because that was the lone track he did last year. So familiarity with that, obviously a little different when it's a rain race, but to still finish ninth, that's a good result for him. Only top 10 of the season. But yes, Graham's going to a track he's historically had success at in Detroit. Obviously swept the doubleheader for his last pair of wins in 2017, but last few years he's been basically either fifth or seventh at Detroit. So there's a chance for a good weekend for him, but just the team overall was nowhere. They were nowhere all month. Nowhere to be found. At least Andretti had a result with Alexander Rossi. But, but I mean, okay, fifth is nice, but what was their next highest finish? Uh, Devlin D. Francesco. So you have fifth and, and then 20th. 20th, 22nd, 31st, 30th. Yeah, Marco never a factor, did lead a lap. Like Grosjean crashed. Like Rossi carried the banner for you, and he's one step out the door. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, Colton Herta, you know, with Poor Colton that, Herta, I mean, he was literally a moving chicane on track. Yeah, I mean, it was he, bad. And, and, like, when he went out of the race, people thought that something broke, but he was black flagged. They, they, he wasn't going up to speed. No. That's why he was out of the race. He was going too slow. Basically, <laughs> one of my buddies pointed this out. It's like, oh, must be the end of the the stint because they're about to lap Colton Herta again. (laughs) I mean, he felt bad for the guy. Yeah. And, you know, it all resulted on that Friday crash. And, you know, he even said it, you know, what could have been without that Friday crash. I get it. But, you know, Rossi fifth was was fine. But I don't know if it completely overshadows the fact that those other four cars were terrible. Well, I'd say it overshadows Penske's lack of results. Well, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> so that's it. That's that's my third. We'll talk Barry Hall, Letterman, Landigan, but of course we had to throw Andretti in there too. <laughs> of course. You, you love talking Andretti results, lack of results, but it seems to be a weekly conversation, right? I think so at this point. It, it, it really is. It, to be fair, a lot of that factors in having four full-time cars, right? I mean, that kind of changes the conversation, but Ganassi is the same thing. Right? Yeah, I don't know how you can use it as an excuse. I mean, Ganassi had five. That I mean, four full timers, but five in the weekend or the two weeks, similar to what Andretti has. Taking a look at other notes uh, from the Indy 500, we'll get to the TV rating in a bit. Let's talk about some other things first before we go all in on that one. <sighs> Good news: the purse more than 16 million, highest in history. Bank. Now, Marcus Erickson, some people banked a little bit more than others. Three point one million, great news for him. However, Stefan Wilson got what one hundred two thousand. Santino Ferrucci finishes top ten, finishes tenth, and gets one hundred thirty four thousand. Yeah, five hundred. Again, if you aren't a full time competitor, and it's gone back and forth on the number, but everything I've seen, it's still twenty two in the leader circle. If you're not a leader circle entry, and Jimmy Johnson is not because of the cap of three per team. Uh, you get a lot more money if you're in the leader circle. And Marcus Erickson, record payday, I think that's great. You would hope that it would be higher next year, especially because I think they're raising ticket prices. <laughs> Are so they? You, you, would, you would hope that. But that is a positive. Taking a look at all-time lead changes in, in the 500, this from Beyond the Flag. 2013, there were 68. 2022, there were 38. And it's basically been upper 20s and low to mid 30s every year in the past decade plus since 2012. Uh, the exception, 2016, had 54. So 2013, 2016, the, the outliers. But I thought the, the racing was presented better on TV when I rewatched it than it was at the track. Yeah, I initially gave it a 7.5, and, a half and I've, I've since then come down a little bit. We'll get to that here in a little bit. And you were shocked when I threw that number at you because you were just judging it based on what you saw in person. Yes, and I think the TV broadcast presented it quite well, to be honest. Yeah. I, I thought NBC did a great job. I thought the, the pre-race was entertaining, uh, had some decent features nothing spectacular but decent i i i really like the usage of of danica and junior and danica brings that i think they really feed off each other well mike Tarico really teed them all up really well and danica is really able to give that insight into the driving because she has that 
and Dale kind of knows his place, not being able to talk about things in the cockpit, but he really talked about the wind factors and the temperature factors and, and all that stuff and, and momentum and all that stuff. So I, I thought they did great. The booth was, was fine. was great. You know, the production was great. I thought NBC did a good job. Unfortunately, not as many, not people, not many people watched. Yeah, I thought they did a good job, and I think Tarico. You didn't mention him, but he does a good job of hosting, as you mentioned, and teeing things up for Danica and Dale. And never comes across, and this has been an issue with other hosts, of like, well, I I know enough about racing to kind of fake it. Like he does not do that. Not at all. Not at all. And I thought. Um, I think they used, you know, Tariko in the booth very well, you know, on cautions and and being able to throw stuff to them. Um, I, I, I just I thought it was really good. I think, you know, I'm sure people are going to whine about the amount of commercials, but every commercial break was a side by side, at least on live TV. I don't know about Peacock. I can't if it was speak the same for way, Peacock either. But I felt, look, they have to pay their bills, right? So. And you didn't feel like you missed much action because you had side-by-side. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm in the minority, but I'm not complaining about commercial breaks on a television program. Yeah, this is America. Formula One is the exception to the exception to the exception. Okay? It's, it's, you know, so comparing them is silly. Because if, if, look, if IndyCar could have somebody come up and, and pay X amount of money to sponsor races commercial free i'm sure they would love it well and f1 basically got the rights for pennies and that will change if oh, they ESPN get the, got it for pennies. Or, or, yes correct yeah that will change if espn gets the next contract which it seems like they're the favorite but that will change there will be commercials and there there have been commercials uh in some of the races this year if i'm not mistaken i th- well i i haven't seen one if there are in like practice Mm -hmm. and maybe even qualifying but i don't know if we've had them in the race or not on espn other notes i can't believe we didn't talk about this but marcus erickson three for three in races with a red flag and and wins oil pressure uh, blog pointed that out but detroit he won due to will powers uh, engine last year not uh, restarting after a red flag and then nashville a red flag and then now the Indy 500. And look, I have I, no I, problems same. with it. No issues None. with the red flag in the 500. And when they threw that red flag, at least on TV, you heard some cheers. You tell me. How was the reaction? Oh, people were cheering for a red flag. Yes. I, I mean, was. You want to see a great finish. You absolutely do. And uh, you know, people are going to say it's contrived and all that stuff. I don't care. Don't care. Now, if they're adding laps, that's a different story. They're not adding laps. They're just throwing the red to ensure or at least try to get an exciting finish. And when there's 320,000 people there, I think we should bend the rules a little bit. And there's no hard and fast rule anyway. No, and they did this in 2014 when Hunter A beat Elio. There was a red flag late. Same deal. Interesting what if. Five laps to go. Elio Castroneves is leading. Do they throw the red? They should. I agree, but I don't... Like, that's, that's kind of... To me, there should be something in the rules that says within X amount of laps, yes, a red will be thrown. Because I, I I don't like the inconsistency. I think you're really opening yourself up to, if you did it at Indy, why aren't you doing it at Mid-Ohio? And I know they're different situations. I get it. 
but at the same time, it can become that thing where are you doing it because of who's leading or who's not leading? I would really like some hard and fast rules that says, look, IndyCar, when we're within this 10, you know, three to 10 laps or something, we're going to throw the red. Other notes, this from Kara underscore Adams, who's with Firestone, top three finishers of the Indy 500. I'll add female engineers on the stand. Coincidence? I think not. Well done, ladies. That's a cool stat as well. I'm just really trying to put things off until we get to the uh, awful TV rating. Uh, one of the other notes, <laughs> uh, Grosjean said at the Indy 500 uh, Victory Banquet, Europe doesn't know what the Indy 500 is. I wish it was next May. So for people who don't like Grosjean, there you go. And also Jimmy Johnson apparently had a deal to run the double back in the day, but the whole Honda Chevy thing got in the way. Not that that is a surprise, but Nathan Brown saying uh, it would have been with Team Penske sometime between 2006 and 2011. But again, that's when Honda was the only engine supplier for IndyCar and Jimmy was with Chevy and Cup. Hmm. Those those engine deals, they can cause issues. Funny how that stuff doesn't seem to get in the way as much anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Right? Right? <laughs> Everybody's playing a little bit nicer. All right. Let's talk uh, TV ratings. Brutal. Not great. On. <laughs> Last year we had 5.581 million viewers. This year... 4.836 million viewers, 2.69 rating for the Indy 500. That's down from a 3.15 rating. But again, we really, were promised 5 million, yeah. weren't we, yesterday? Pre- preliminary numbers that NBC reported out that they were going to get total audience delivery, which includes Peacock, of uh, 500 million viewers or more. Now, Peacock number, 218,800 uh, on the streaming audience, up more than 500% on last year and that's because simply well you couldn't stream peacock to watch the race live they had like nbcsports.com or something you could stream it and maybe a couple other things but they didn't have the races streaming on peacock so that number is huge but still um the the total is 4.8 million from nbc peacock and their other streaming services massive disappointment when you compare it this way and Nathan Brown of the Indy Star with this. 2022, not including streaming, 4.6 million. 2019, um, when streaming was hardly you know a thought, which is crazy how much that's changed, 5.5 million. So you're looking at a comparison of down nearly a million between the last full capacity Indy 500 and this year. It's really, really bad. There's no other way to spin it. I, I'm not going to try to spin it. The only positive is that the Peacock stream, because, again, you couldn't stream it live on Peacock last year when they started with uh, IndyCar on Peacock for the $5 a month deal. Up a big number, but, again, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, no, it's... It's unfortunate. Lowest rated Indianapolis 500 ever outside of the move two years ago to Memorial or off Memorial Day weekend. So it's not good. And and I don't know if we can, you know, if we can look and say what went wrong or what didn't or what did. And, and just, you know, this is kind of what it is. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a return to form. Maybe part of it is, you know, more people went to the race, less people watched. I don't know. And it, it's not doesn't make up 850,000 people or whatever watching but you know it you know it, all it takes is a couple people watching that 
didn't last. So I don't know. I'm not going to overanalyze it, overthink it. It's just a it's a disappointment, and you can't spin it. I don't care what the stream number it was, or oh, this was going on, or that was going on, and historically, how does this? Look? It's not good. It's not good. Here's the positive: most watched 500 in the UK for a long time, probably since the Mansell days, according to a viewer over there. So. I guess you you take what you can get, but there's no way to spin this as a positive. Yes, the streaming numbers are high. The other downside is they're not on NBC this weekend. It's not a doubleheader, so you only get one data point, and it's on USA Network and not on NBC for Detroit. Yeah. Um, I just – yeah, it's on USA, right? Yes. It's one of our, what, two races on USA, or is this the only one? One of two. The other one is Gateway. And then Toronto is Peacock, Peacock streaming only, right. which that's going to be fun <laughs> leading up to it. Where oh, people before are, and after, yes. I mean, Marshall better just you know <laughs> cancel the mailbag the we the Wednesday after that race. But um, yeah, unfortunately, it's this this will get a dud because it's on USA. I even had to look it up because my dad was trying to set his DVR ahead, couldn't find the race, and he's a fan, let alone people casually. The positive is that USA Network is in more homes than NBCSN was before it shuttered at the end of last year. That is the positive. Hey, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll we'll take any we'll positive. We'll take whatever we can, we get, can get because can get. the TV number for the Indianapolis 500 was not good at all. No positive. Yeah, the streaming number was high, but of course it was going to be high. I guess the only positive there is that people in Indy who had Peacock could stream it live, which, duh, that should not have been a question to begin with. They just held off answering it until Carb Day. So they could, you know, sneak one in on people who've already bought tickets. I get uh, it. Yes. I mean, I get it. I understand. But that's clearly the reason. Right. You know, buckle down on that stuff. All right. Let's talk silly season before we get to Detroit. Do you remember that one time when you brought up Alexander Rossi and him going to McLaren and when it would be announced? I do, actually. I vaguely remember that. Didn't you say something about... Detroit? Yeah, I did, actually. It's funny you say that. So if you <laughs> listen to the podcast or follow us on Twitter, IndyCar Podcast is the handle, you already know this news because we told you like six weeks ago. You go back to what we had on this 20th of April of this year. Rossi to McLaren for 2023 should be announced within the next couple of races, according to a source. And I follow that up with, would speculate that this comes at or after Detroit for what it's worth. Huh. Who's right? Now, I find it hilarious that Andretti then tries to... Usurp. Usurp would be the great word. Usurp the Rossi to McLaren news by announcing Kirkwood to Andretti. In the 27 car with yes. AutoNation, no mention of Napa. Now, do we think Napa is gone or Napa went is going to go with... Rossi for a couple races because I think he could they could go with Rossi for a couple races I agree I mean I think the other obvious tie-in is Lucas Oil Lucas Oil is sold at Napa Auto Parts right right at least I would guess so I would think there's some sort of tie-in there because I mean you know Napa jumped on board for the hundredth on Rossi's car and then became a full-time primary after that and then have slowly since dissipated their support, but they're still split. Yeah, I mean it's it's like Napa Auto Nation 
I mean, they're co-primary right. sponsors. I think it's at least six or so that they're the top primary, something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, they're still valued, but they may say, hey, we're going with the Indy 500 winner, potentially. But, it, I mean, I guess it's good that AutoNation's sticking around. Kyle Kirkwood official in the 27 car. I cannot think of a time we've had an earlier silly season announcement. It just keeps getting earlier and earlier and earlier. And now I think this is just the opening few moves of what, you know, inevitably has become normal year in and year out. The pretty busy, silly season. And Kyle Kirkwood double duty this weekend. He'll be with Vassar Sullivan at Detroit for the IMSA race there in GTD Pro. Uh, Excuse me, GTD, not GTD Pro. So, He'll be doing a double duty this weekend. We'll see how that plays out for him. But uh, Kirk went to Andretti. Look, this is not a surprise. So there's nothing really to break down, right? No, no, absolutely. This has always kind of been known as, you know, there wasn't a seat already at Andretti for him. He's basically on loan to AJ Foyt Racing for a year, and then he goes back to Andretti. And we knew for a long time that Rossi was looking to leave Andretti. And that's why I think this is the, you know, I think this is more the exception to the rule in terms of how early silly season starting because both of these deals were effectively wrapped up, in my opinion, probably before the year even started. At least the handshake deal with the Rossi thing. Oh, yeah. And we expected, I mean, there were rumors the deal was already done at Long Beach back in April. So not a surprise. Then Trackside Online with the tweet, which kind of started the, the confirmation train going, There'll be an IndyCar team announcement at 10.30 a.m. Friday in Detroit. Hmm. Wonder who that could be. Yeah, so that'll be Rossi to McLaren, whether it's the third car. I, I've heard mixed things on Felix, whether he is back, not back. I think as of I think now, the jury's still out right now. I don't think a decision has been made. We shall see. I mean, I don't think... I think this is... I think he, he's trending in a good direction. Yeah. Similar to... This podcast, I really don't think in the majority of cases that teams really start looking at next year with some of their on-the-fence drivers till after the 500. Because you look at Felix Rosenquist, and through four races, he was, what, 15th in points, maybe? Now he has a 6th and a 4th at Indy in May. He's sitting in ninth, and you feel a lot better about Felix Rosenquist right now, right? Yeah. So... A lot can change in in just a, a couple races over the course of the month of May. So, I, th- I think there's a lot of decisions to be made. You look towards the bottom. You look at Devlin DeFrancesco. You look at you know Jack Harvey. I think there's some decisions to be made there, especially with. I mean, uh, DeFrancesco brings a lot of money to the team. He's not going anywhere. Right. I think with Jack Harvey, well, he's though, not going anywhere on track either. <laughs> kind of be the issue. I think with Jack Harvey, I mean, you, you got to get some results, right? I mean, I mean, Lungard at least brings a pile of cash. Harvey has that high V car. You would think high V would eventually need to see some results, especially with all the advertising and activation they're doing. Yeah, imagine how profitable the ac- activation would be if they actually were in the picture towards the top end of the grid. I mean, Elio Castroneves. Do we look at it and say, okay? We're, we're seeing the proof of what we thought, and Elio, at his age, is no longer a consistent contender week in and week out. 
at least he had a good result at Indy charging through the field. I think. Well, yeah, but that that we knew he'd be strong at Indy, right? True. So going into next year, are you going to put Elio Castroneves again into a full time car, or do you go to an Indy or May only program? I would think the latter, unless right. something drastically changes second half of the season. So you know, and you know. I'm not taking anything away from Renus VK, but if he wants to be lured, I think, by some of the top teams, he needs to have a better stretch of races than he's had, you know, at least a month, 23rd and 33rd. I mean, that 33rd killed him in the points, killed him. And now he's sitting 13th. So, you know, the absurdity that is double points, and you look at it now that Tony Kanaan with his third place finish is sitting higher than five full time drivers in the points. And that's not including Jack Harvey, who's raced five of the six races, of course, did not start at Texas. And speaking of him not starting at Texas, Santino Ferrucci will fill in for Callum Eilat, as Eilat has a broken right hand suffered uh, from his crash in the Indy 500. I don't know if you saw a pick from that, but yeah, it's pretty clear, it was, yeah, pretty clear it was why he was not cleared. So Ferrucci, his results with Ray Hall last year, again, doubleheader, sixth race one, 10th race two that coming after a crash uh in qualifying before race two so good results for him last year obviously different team different engine a lot of different things at play but he at least sets up to do well and look hunkos hollinger has had a pretty decent road and street course car yes they've been pretty solid and what you could say from by uh, about callum eilat so far was that he was keeping the car in one piece, but not anymore. So we'll see if you know this could factor in. Will Eilat be out multiple weeks? We'll see, but obviously for this weekend, Santino Ferrucci filling in and another opportunity for him to get a result. I get that there are drivers in the paddock and team owners in the paddock who do not like Santino Ferrucci. Made that very clear. But you cannot deny that the kid has talent, he's fast, and he gets results. I just, I, I guess I'd like to see him get another full-time opportunity. And I guess I'm wondering, like, people notoriously have short memories when it comes to, you know, not liking someone or whatever if they're successful in what they do. Like, I, I get it that he's made a couple mistakes and said the wrong things and all that, but, you know, is he so bad that a talent like that is worth keeping out of a seat? Unless there's stuff recently going on, I just, I don't understand it. Yeah, like what happened before he even came to IndyCar. Right. It was bad, but it is in the past. I mean, does, did the guy learn a lesson? I, it seems like it. I mean, of course, we're on the outside looking in. If he's not, then, you know, can we move on from, you know, limiting this guy's opportunities for the mistakes of the past? Because I think you could put us all in that category. True. Absolutely. All right, um, one other thing to get to, and that is Detroit. Let's preview Detroit before yes. we get to uh, other items on the show. And this weekend at Detroit, oh, and I just clicked out of uh, the page I was looking and for. And do we still yet have reasoning why there's just one race? No, we we never I mean, got that. I mean, I think it's to be easier on the teams. I know, but why now? That's, that's been my question. Like, why are we deciding this now? Because it's a good decision, but, you know, who finally came up with some sense and said, why are we doing two races the weekend after the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, it's a lot of common sense. This will be the last year that we know of at Belle Isle. 
And the schedule is as follows. On Friday, practice 3.30 to 4.30 in the afternoon, Eastern Time. Practice 1, Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio. Then on Saturday, practice 2, 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning, Eastern. All the same platforms. Practice 2, early practice session. I can't recall practice session being that early in quite some time. Qualifying, 12.35 p.m. to 1.50 p.m. Same platforms as well for that on Saturday. And then race day, Sunday, June 5th. There'll be a warm-up from 10.15 to 10.45 in the morning. And then the race window itself, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Again, on USA, Peacock, Sirius XM, and IndyCar Radio. 70 laps, 164.5 miles, a 2.3-mile street circuit on Belle Isle. Race time, 3.30 to 5.30. So a green flag, approximately 3.30 on Sunday. So that's a look at uh, details on that. Taking a look at uh, our three key stats, courtesy of Chad200 on Twitter for Detroit. Pole sitter, only one win in last 16 races. Pagano, last eight finishes, one top five, zero laps led. So he has not been strong at Detroit. Graham Rahal mentioned him earlier, won both races in 2017. Second in top fives, third in laps led. Last five finishes, fifth, seventh, seventh, fifth, fifth. So expect Graham Rahal to have a good run on Sunday. Well, he needs to bounce back after the Indy 500 that team had. Who do you have on Sunday? I don't know. I feel somebody bounces back. I feel like it's going to be a Penske car, and I'm going to go agree. with Will Power. Uh, I'm also going to go yes, with Will Power. Yes, sir! <laughs> See, usually you take mine. Yeah, it's, it's unanimous. Will Power is our pick for Sunday at Detroit. All right, if you agree or disagree with anything you have heard, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us online, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is IndyCarPodcast. Facebook, like us. Just search for New Track Record. We're also on Instagram. The handle is IndyCarPodcast as well. And we'd love for you to uh, check out the store on the website. We have stickers for sale. We also have shirts for sale. Those can be autographed upon request. Yes, they can. And you've seen the shirt. They're soft. They're very nice. They're nice shirts. Got some comments on Carb Day. Yeah. So please order a shirt. We'd love for you. Or you can become a patron. Thanks to Cole and Rob, who are patrons uh, for us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash record. We have multiple tiers for you to support us on a monthly basis as cheap as just a buck a month, and we appreciate your support on there. And you can always find us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you follow your podcasts all for free. All right, Justin, mailbag time, and obviously plenty to discuss. And we'll start with Rate the Race for the Indianapolis 500. What would you give it? I gave it a 7. I concur. I also give it a 7. I I would have given it... 7.5, and you jumped me for (laughs) what race were you watching, and I said, the one on TV. Watch that and see if you feel better about it. Mine went up a a full rating point. Yeah, how about that? If only the TV rating could have gone up a full (laughs) rating point. Uh, Too soon. Too soon. All right, Rate the Race. Uh, N.K. Harden gave it a 6. Didn't live up to the level of some of the last few 500s. Great for Marcus, but it's hard to picture him as a 500 winner. His lead with 15 to to 10 laps to go was as much of a checkout as we've ever seen 
the DW12 IMS. Yeah, you know, this was a different race as far as someone able to actually pull away until that late yellow that Marcus was able to do. And and props to him and the Ganassi team for setting him up to do that. But this was still a better race than 2018. Yeah, I would agree. But it's like, you know, the racing still, it leaves something to be desired. I mean, I felt that something that really helped the race was the cautions. And there was just a, a right enough amount of cautions at just the right times to avoid monotony because there really wasn't much passing outside of the restarts. Yeah, it was hard to pass. And you kind of wonder if they'll reevaluate that sealant, right? Because it raises the track temperature so much that it makes it slick, even when it, it's, it wasn't even that hot Sunday. I think that's the part that's wild. You're talking low 80s and they're saying it's slippery and hard to pass and like these are the things we heard in 2018 when it was pushing what 95 degrees right i just and i don't know once again the you know the aero screen issues all that stuff i i don't know but you know once again it's the lack of the ability to pass in the field once it gets strung out a little bit that continues to be an issue and you know to the point where, man, the worst place you want to be is almost in first, you know? I mean, that's how it was for a long time. You didn't want to be in right. first until the last turn of the last lap. Yeah, so I just, you know, there's some tweaks that need to be made. And, you know, Marshall Pruitt said, you know, there have been tweaks being made the last couple of years. Maybe it's something where they need to throow a whole new idea at it because it's still – it. look, it wasn't boring, but I think without those wins and thus the cautions – we really could be talking about a boring race here. True. And we also have been spoiled with 2012 on yeah. with how great the racing has been most of these years. Definitely. All right, more on Right the Race. DC Soda gave it a 10. First 500 with my son, so it's not going to be anything below that. Extremely exciting from where we were sitting in turn three, but very bummed with what happened to VK, Herta McLaughlin. Super happy for Daly. It was great to see Rossi show his stuff in the 500 once again. Yeah, I can't disagree with you giving it a 10 is uh, based on your circumstance. I, yeah. I can't disagree with you there. Jeremy from HBG, solid 8.5. Glad all the yellows were single-car incidents. Bentlells gave it a 7.5. Tyler underscore Allen gave it a 7. Depster 1, 8 for me. The cautions made it for interesting strategy calls. Call me old-fashioned, but I wasn't a fan of the red. And then he goes on to say, allow me to explain the red this year felt a bit NASCAR-ish to me with so few laps left. 2019, for example, was a good use of red flag, in my opinion. Didn't detract from my rating at all, just preference. Yeah, I guess I forgot about the red flag in 2019, but 2014 was a lot closer to the finish, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, definitely. Laser Disco, 9.5. Pato clearing Erickson would have made it a solid 10, but I'm glad he throttled down to keep it out of the wall. Not sure if last year's Pato would have done the same. Excellent point. And I thought he made the move at the wrong time. I, th- I yeah. thought if he waited till the backstretch, coming out of two and made a run. But it was why I just don't think on the outside going into turn one was ever going to work. No. And credit to Erickson, he took away the inside. Yeah. And well, it, it still would have been tough because you get all that momentum, then you'd still have to back off you right. know, in turn one. And then with Erickson doing the. What was it called? The dragon, basically the thing Pagano learned. Yeah, but it was like at another level. Is basically yeah. going back and forth. 
and it worked. It you did. got it to work. Yeah. I am analog. Uh, I am analog eight. I was pretty entertained. I don't know if it was just because how busy work was, but I did end up drifting off a bit in the middle. I was so disappointed to come back after getting a snack and seeing McLaughlin in the wall. Inning was very interesting. Hashtag justice for Malukas. <laughs> Human Spectre 1 gave it a 9. Great race. I really enjoyed how much the cautions mixed it up. The battles up front were great. Happy for Erickson and his team. Another great Indy 500. Uh, Marmon Wasp 1911 gave it an 8. So thank you for your rating there. Uh, Full Sin Race gave it a 7. Overall good, but the pack did get strung out at times over the course of a stint. And the Timps kept there from being more overtaking. Stealth, 1014, even 8. Uh, VK, need to break up the teamwork uh, between Pillow and Dixon. Pretty surprised ECR was left flat-footed. Uh, Daniel, SEM 2004, gave it a solid 9. Not a big fan of the red flag. The end, a deceptive NASCAR finish, but it is what it is. Have to feel gutted for Dixon. He should have at least three 500 wins by now. Glad he has at least one. A lot of, lot of responses on this. Not that this is a surprise. Also, uh, full play. I, I don't know how to say that, but uh, we'll go with it. <laughs> I almost missed pre-Aero Kit days before today's androgyny for good reasons and even before the custom F-style winglets hung all over the car of 2013 or whenever. We had 65 lead changes or so. Yeah, that was 2013. We had that number. We're having some jets go by. It sounds like eight tens practicing yeah, their flyover. Sounds like they're doing some training. Uh, well, right they now do have the four wing air show in this this week. And if you like the uh, Thunderbirds at the at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway over the weekend, Thunderbirds will be in town here in Fort Wayne this week. That is true. I don't think we've ever had an A ten interrupt us recording. No, but we are very <laughs> near the air reserve base here in Fort Wayne. That is true. And during the workday, hear them all the time, so it's not a surprise. Zaxi8771, I'll give it a 7. I was hurting for Dixon, uh, but his mistake made things spicy. A nice palate cleanser after Monaco. Um, Lee Walker, uh, Lee Walk, 803-77986. Six, decent race, but little drama till the end. And while a good thing uh, Rex were simple single car incidents and really zero pit lane intrigue incidents other than a speeding penalty, huge part of the race was trying to not lead all the time. Missy K. Rice gave it a six. A good race, but many other races were better. Um, Daguerre, 10. What an ending. What a deserving new winner and championship leader. Um, Fulpe uh, gave it a 10. Mac, 316-13548 gave it an eight. It was good, but not one of my favorites. Very good and interesting race, especially the last 40 or so laps. You and I find interesting, Justin. What's that? I think there is a big difference between longtime IndyCar fans and maybe newer converts or people who cross over from F1 on what what they find exciting or what they find to be good racing. I agree. It's almost like we're victims of our own fandom. Yes, but I do think we're dealing with different a different generation, and I don't want to say different generation of fans, but we're all used to being instantly instant gratification. So highly entertained at all times i don't think the way the world is in 2022 you can have races where guys are winning by three or four laps or only three or four drivers on a lead lap i just don't think that's gonna fly nowadays in 2022 it worked in 1987 but it's not going to work in 2022 worked in 1994 well that's still a long time ago 
That's true. And so, gosh, it's almost, uh, what, 28 years now? Yeah. That, when you put it in that kind of perspective, I think, yeah, it's it goes to show how things change. You have to adjust. And IndyCar had adjusted and had a great on-track product for most of the last decade. So to have, like, an off year like we had this year or in 2020 or in 2018, it's very noticeable. Yes, I would agree. And look, I don't think it was a dull race by no. any means. I do think it was exceptionally helped by when the cautions flew. It's just when we get a taste of what it has been recently, we want that again. I just think that's natural in anything. Absolutely. All right, taking a look at uh, some comments on the TV rating. Hunter's Way 67, Steve Hunt. And Steve, nice to meet you on yeah. Carb Day Good along to see with Doug you guys. and Lisa. And also Bobby C. as well. Nice to meet the people who came out. First timers at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Came all the way from California. Uh, he says, that is disappointing on the TV rating. Thought for sure this year would be five and a half million plus with all the JJ NASCAR fans tuning in. One would think, right, between Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson and the storylines, they both qualified well, did not matter. Tyler underscore Allen, ah, the annual disappointment after the 500. It's true. Poet Shevchenko, an almost 20% drop is catastrophic. And DGIV NASCAR fan says blackout is to blame. I don't think so. Why? I don't think so because you can stream on Peacock. So Why would you, the blackout be to blame? It's blacked I, out I, most years except one. Except 2020 and 2016, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I don't buy it. And last year, right? It wasn't blacked out. Correct. Correct. Was it? No, it wasn't. Because okay, because of the cap on the, the capacity. Yeah. Uh, you posted this poll. Who have the better season in 2023? 78% said Rossi McLaren. 22% Kirkwood with Andretti. A few responses here. Indy Nathan says, I voted Rossi mostly due to the reliability issues at Andretti, but wouldn't be surprised at all if Kirkwood comes in and kicks butt. I would not be surprised either, but yes, I, I think we both agree Rossi is set up for success. Sometimes you just need to start fresh, right? You absolutely do. I think it's a good reboot for Alexander Rossi and in some ways a good reboot for Andretti Autosport as well. But Shevchenko, Kirkwood is still easing into the role. Meanwhile, the change in team may be the refresh Rossi needs, precisely. 500 Indy 1911 says AMSP is a much better team. Name the last one for an Andretti driver not named Herta. I'll wait. And Howard 2112, Rossi at Road America, dot, 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 in 2019. Yeah, three three years. <laughs> right. Daniel SEM 2004, there's something system, systematically wrong in Andretti right now. Only Herta seems to be able to get wins, but they are still down in the championship. McLaren has been making big jumps and is putting the price, uh, pieces together to contend every week. Well, it helps that they've upgraded their engineering staff. They're investing in the team. It seems like with Andretti, I don't know if the F1 distraction plays a role in on-track performance, but I don't know if it's helping either. Yeah, I don't think it's a, an added boost to that team that even its team principals are you know worrying about the formula 1 aspect of things and you know i'm not saying they're putting less time into indycar but the fact of the matter is you only have x amount of hours in a day 24 hours in a day and now that you have so many different disciplines you're in and trying to add a new one that just so happens to be the most popular form of motorsport in the world 
that's sometimes going to pull you away from things you otherwise would be engaged in on the IndyCar side. Meanwhile, McLaren's investing in building, you know, a, what, 95,000 square foot facility in Whitestown. Yeah, a new shop, a, a major investment, and they, they're they adding a third car. So, I mean, they're expanding. It's a growing team. Aero is firmly entrenched. They're not going anywhere. They're clearly happy with the product. And they should be because they have a driver who is a legitimate championship contender now three years running. And you could argue one of, if not the favorite coming out of the Indy 500. Yes. And looking three top fives in the last four races for Pato Award. Stealth 1014 says only reason Herta has been successful is because his dad is running strategy for him. Andretti is back of the shop issues, which I think we've talked about at length in, in the past. And then he goes on to say, are we talking absolute better season or relative better season? Kirkwood will have the most dramatic change, but Rossi will finish better. Andretti has a core philosophy issue, not a driver issue. I like the way he phrased that. I Yeah, I would concur. It almost sounds like somebody within the Andretti organization would talk about their issues. It it just seems like they need a a rethink. They don't need to be making little tweaks here or there. They need a complete right like great word rethink. They need a complete revamp of what's going on. And uh, people replying to the Kirkwood announcement here. N.K. Harden says, "Hey, wait a minute! Doesn't Rossi drive the number twenty-seven? I wish someone knew where he would be driving next year." <laughs> Yep. If only we knew. Huh. Who said that? Yeah. If only we knew. Uh, And then international race update. We didn't talk about this, but IndyCar, Argentina. Could they join the IndyCar schedule? Uh, Article from Marshall Prude of Racer.com. And this also comes on the heels of a tweet that was sent to us on um, this courtesy of C. Martin 88 from Indy 500 blog, Santiago de Estero's governor, Gerardo Zamora, visited Indianapolis in an attempt to bring the IndyCar series to the Autodromo Termas de Rio Hondo, Argentina. Uh, You say that so well. I'm sure I butchered that completely. But you look at the track, nice-looking facility, international race, it's kind of outside of of a kind of a resort town. So last time IndyCar was in Argentina, the 71 USAC opener on the three mile, yes, three mile oval at Autodromo Ciudad de Rafaela. We've talked about that in the past, but this is a three mile road course FIA grade two standards. They host a MotoGP event annually. So, I mean, it's established. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good comparison. I jokingly said Sochi <laughs> to you earlier this week. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's A part of you gets excited, and then you start, you know, coming down from, you're like, okay, okay, okay. Because Unless all the shipping is paid for and the money is great, it's not going to happen. Here's one thing, though, is this, and I don't know if this is a widespread idea and i think it was more with previous indycar regimes is this idea that you go somewhere when it's cold january february for a non-points race and i just don't understand the concept of a non-points race what's the point what's the point if you're going to race in february or january and say argentina or wherever 
why not make it a points race? I don't understand. And like my only thinking was the caveat was St. Pete has something in their contract when with, with for their for them being this the the start of the season. But then I'm like, if it's not in the states, what does it matter, right? You know, I would think that is in their their contract. You know, to prevent you know a Texas getting a raise first or something. But what would it matter that Argentina started the season and and St. Pete was the start of the year in North America? I don't understand that. Great so time is, zone as well. Like yeah, I think that's definitely. the key. So, so, yeah, it's, uh, pretty much. So my thing is, I, I I'd welcome a chance to go to Argentina, and I think the teams would too, as long as the majority of their bills were paid. But since they're all going down there, make it a points race. Because you're going to go down there, and what prevents teams from sending you know backup cars and skeleton crews? Because you know it doesn't count for points. Why would we put that much effort into it? Yeah, I, I, I really don't know. It, it's uh, why bother, right? And I love this last line in the story on Racer.com. Provided the funds to transport the cars, teams, and equipment is met. And a strong sanction fee is capable of being paid that would boost each team's leader circle contract. It's believed IndyCar will welcome any serious inquiries to host a new event. Yeah, I think if, <laughs> if if the check clears, IndyCar will go. But we know how that goes with the check clearing. Or yes. if the check being even given to the series. Even in the States, <clears throat> Boston. And I think, you know, credit to Ricardo Junkos. He seems to be the driving force behind this. And he's been working on this. I saw this goes back to like 2016. Yeah, totally great. Totally awesome. I just, I don't know if the capital is there. And could maybe Brad Hollinger, his impact financially help this? I don't know. But if I'm Junkos Hollinger Racing... What am I investing in? A race in Argentina or building up my own team? I know what I'm picking. Yeah, exactly. It's it's an easy choice. A few responses on this. Vicky Lynn 26 would be cool, but we can't just go there for the sake of having a race. That's gotta there's gotta be points involved. Otherwise, what's the point? Agreed. Hunter's Way 67, same same opinion. If it's not for points, why bother? And then Poet Shevchenko, almost three mile distance looks like a pretty good venue. Yeah, judging on pictures and looking it up, you know, on Google Maps and everything, like it's a legitimate course. Looks and nice, it's right by the airport. Again, it's a re- little resort city that's like thirty-two thousand people, roughly population. So it's not huge, but they have an international airport. It's not really close to Buenos Aires, which is disappointing, but it's a unique location. I mean, I again. It would be cool, right? We just don't expect this to happen. I agree, but we've read many of these stories before. They always start off so optimistic, and then we know. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, it falls apart rather quickly. Hope All it right. doesn't, but, you know, chances are it will. Absolutely. Okay, Justin, that wraps up the mailbag. Time for news and notes, and first off. What else we got out there? Honda Indy Toronto, the race that we thought would never return. Well, tickets are on sale now. HondaIndy.com slash tickets to our Canadian friends, or I guess listeners in the Buffalo metropolitan area. Yeah, or anyone wanting to, Toronto. Wanting to go to Toronto. It'd be a cool race to visit one day, but tickets are on sale. Also, IndyCar Game. 
We've heard a lot of negative things about motorsport games, but they had a first look of the game. Looks pretty slick to me. Yeah, some on the pictures. I got the the email newsletter, and then they also tweeted it out. So good stuff there. And they were even doing some um, you know some profile captures at the speedway. Did you see that? At yes, Indianapolis, where they had like I don't know how many cameras there were. They looked like you know. 50 to 75 cameras surrounding and I think it was uh, Doug Bowles that was in the little booth and all the cameras were kind of getting him at all angles and they were doing that with every driver that was there but I think if they're getting Doug Bowles that you know potentially getting team owners and all that stuff so work is being done and and a lot of people point to that NASCAR ignition uh game that was not good mm-hmm. NASCAR 21 ignition from motorsports games motorsport games that supposedly wasn't that good but you read it some of the things that the game offered and i'm sure it wasn't highly polished but it was pretty sweet actually what they had to offer in the game execution was probably a little off it sounds like there were multiple bugs but they got fixed like with uh patches and stuff that were released elsewhere but i they didn't come out with a 2022 edition for this year for NASCAR 21 and Ignition, but they were releasing DLC, so downloadable content for the 22 season. So it was being updated within the game. So, like, you know, for for us, for that people that game that haven't had anything for so long for IndyCar, even like a half-ass game at this point would be better than nothing. IndyCar Series 2005 on what, what Xbox? Xbox, and I think it was on PS2. Uh, was PS2 and Wii? Was it on Wii? I'm not sure about Wii. It may have been. but And I'm sure PC, right? Yeah, I'm sure. But, you know, going back that long. I played that game before, by the way. Yeah, so. <laughs> look, I'm optimistic, and you hope that uh, Motorsport Games has kind of its crap together, and I know it's dealt with some stuff behind the scenes as well. But, you know, for the people starving for an IndyCar game, I hope that if it's not you know, up to par, people don't just refuse to buy it because that's kind of what's going to dictate the future of, you know, motorsport games investing in DLC or or a new game is, you know, is this thing, you know, scooped up by people? We'll see. Some other notes on the F1 side. Max Verstappen says he has no desire to ever race the Indy 500. What do you take on him... Because, I, you know, people on both sides kind of took exception to, to, to when Formula One drivers say, oh, you know, you're going around in circles at dangerous speeds and I'm not really interested in it. Like, I'm okay with Max saying what he said. If that's how he feels, great. I don't care. Right. I but if you're going to say they're just driving around in circles and the, there's no skill to it, then I have a problem. Right. And, and then, you know, Max didn't say there was no skill or whatever, but I think you have fans that kind of jump in and say, you know, oh, going around circles is boring or whatever. And, you know, I have no problem with Ver- Verstappen or any driver coming out and saying, you know, that's not my cup of tea and it's dangerous and I don't want to do it. I mean, who who are we to say what people should and shouldn't do? You would think by now, if they've at least seen Grosjean's crash, that, yeah, it's not that easy and it's not fun to crash. And, I, you know, I don't like open-wheel fans or IndyCar fans coming in and say, oh, he's a wuss for not wanting to do it. And I don't like Formula One fans coming out and saying, you know, oh, ovals are stupid. And I don't think Formula One drivers are doing that. It's the fans on both sides that are kind of 
raising the issues with this whole thing. And that's why they just get into Twitter wars over stupid stuff. Yeah, it's it's not worth the effort and the time, in my opinion. For a guy that's never done ovals and is winning Formula One championships, why would he even entertain any other discipline of racing at this point? True. I mean, he's... he's so won a world drivers championship, and he wants to win another. Yeah. Stick and with that. I mean, and you know, for a guy, you know, he's not Fernando Alonso. He's not doesn't have his eyes on a triple crown, and that's okay. And we should respect it. I just don't understand why it became a big talking point on Twitter. And then speaking of F one, Adam Stern, Sports Business Journal says uh, this is from a Bloomberg.com article. Horner, as in Christian Horner, doesn't see any new entrants getting into Formula One until 2026. So taking on an existing franchise would be the only way in for a new party until then. This Andretti thing, I think, is just stalled out. It's uh, DOA at this point, I feel, unless a team comes up for sale. And at this point, I, I don't know, like, how much would you have to pay for a team right now? <laughs> Over a billion dollars, right? Yeah. If Williams sold tomorrow, they're getting at least a billion dollars. With the way F1 is valued at right now, yeah. that's not out of the question. I just I think they've... Um, this is the thing. I think they've priced themselves out of the market for reasonable offers to get in the series, and I think they're perfectly fine with that. Yeah, because they don't they want don't anybody wanna, joining the club. They don't want to share the money. I, you know, to a certain extent, I don't blame them. No. All right, a couple of other things to tidy up before we get to tweets of the week and our random split era driver of the week. First off, uh, congrats to. Indy Golf Cart, who won our Twitter contest over qualifying weekend with the closest uh, guess on the pole speed, picked up a, a copy of uh, Alan Sir Jr.'s book, A Checkered Pass, with Jade Gers, also a new track record sticker. So congrats to you on that. Hope well you done. enjoy the book. In time for Tweets of the Week, first off from Jay Kenworthy, most people don't realize how big Indianapolis Motor Speedway actually is. <laughs> this was great. And I thought this was hilarious. <laughs> It is a photo of the continental United States and then Alaska and Hawaii next to it inside, photoshopped inside the aerial photo of IMS. I thought that was perfect. And it took off on social media. And let me tell you, as much as I praised NBC Sports for their broadcast, they did have to fall back on what sports venues can we fit inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But it was a new take. I will give them that. They had Cowboy Stadium, Roland Garros, um, but it was still Yankee the Stadium, sense of, I think. We got to give it scale and all that. And it's just yeah. like, eh. I mean, the only thing that was missing was the football field on the front stretch. True. <laughs> they didn't say danger zone in the broadcast either. No. That's what maybe I that was, was told. Maybe there was a big sign on, on in the booth that said, no danger zone. <laughs> Nobody's going to understand it. They're going to think you're referencing Top, Top Gun Maverick. This from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Montoya says we sucked despite jumping from 30th to 11th. Also said he didn't make any mistakes, quote, like speeding or anything, end quote. <laughs> the, Coming in hot. That's great. Amazing. Amazing shade. Love it. This from Daguerra replying to us, this age well for me at least. And this is on Marcus Erickson back March 25th of this year. Erickson has 11 top 10s in the past 12 races, and you keep saying he has to prove himself to keep a seat. <laughs> His sponsors are funding. I think you should look for a new storyline with the winky face emoji. I was going to pull it out this week and say, you know, maybe <laughs> he's in a slightly better position to keep his seat right now. You know, <laughs> Indy 500 winner, P1 in the uh, 
in the point standings, but you know, good luck finding any type of apparel for Marcus Erickson. Hey, at least they, they have it now. They you do, yeah. At least you know, two days ago it was non-existent. But you still can't find husky chocolate in the U.S. unless you're like at a ski resort because it's like yeah. commercial. I'm I'm very rarely in Vail, Colorado. Same. Um, so or Aspen. Yeah, or Aspen. So I may not ever have husky chocolate. I'd like to try it though. I really would because you can get it like a gas station, like in in Europe in some spots. Man. Where it's kind of like a like a muscle milk type bottle or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. So hmm. I would like to try it. Yeah. Somebody if send us aware, some. Yeah, please. It worked with rich energy. It did. It did work. And then final tweet of the week from Jenna Fryer. Quote, not bad for a pay driver, end quote, says Marcus Erickson. I think that's kind of the that? mic drop. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I get that he's maybe not the most well-known guy in it. People are a little, you know, it's great that he won. He seems kind of like more of a surprising champion. This is, look at what Alexander Rossi's done, though, since that time, right? I mean, sure. after he won in 2016, people thought he's just going to go back to F1. And he stayed, and he's embraced the car, and he's not going anywhere. And he became, for a stretch, one of the top drivers in the series, very talented, and hopefully we'll get back to that level next year with Aaron McLaren SP. And I think it's a great example for, look, I mean, Alexander Rossi is one thing, but he only had, how many starts did he even have in Formula One? Five. Yeah, like he wasn't around. Like he was there Erickson for had a cup like of coffee. He was 100. almost 100. Yeah, so when we're talking Formula One drivers and what we expect to be a continued pipeline between guys whose careers dry dry up over in Europe, Formula One, and then come over to IndyCar, is now you have a tried-and-true guy that spent, what, four seasons, four-plus seasons in Formula One, 97 starts, and wins the Indianapolis 500, and you know potentially could win a series championship at this point. That's as good of a sell to... F2 drivers that run out of paths to F1 and formula or former F1 drivers themselves to come over and give this a shot. And I think that's a bigger boost to that pipeline than Alexander Rossi ever was. Yeah. And look how that's played out. Grosjean coming over, Eilat, Lungard, Ericsson. I mean, it's out a lot of drivers here in the last couple of years who are clearly talented. Yes, most definitely. So... I feel like it's it's a it's he'll be a great ambassador for the Indianapolis 500 and IndyCar and you know I saw him I think it was last night got to throw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium so that doesn't suck. Yeah, the the did the New York stop first pitch, the Yankees game the other night opening bell for the uh, Stock Nasdaq nice and Empire State Building as well so some pretty cool media opportunities as well. Goes with the territory, huh? Absolutely. All right. Random split air driver of the week. All time. right. We're going late. Um, let's see. So, CART ended officially in 2003, right? Or after the 2003 season. Yeah. 2003 was the last CART season. Even that was a shell. Yeah. But we're going to go 2003. IndyCar was an IRL, it was IndyCar. And a lot of familiar random names in there that we love to throw around, but I'm going to go with PDM Racing, and we're going to go with Scott Mayer. I have heard of him. 
He failed his rookie test. He failed everything, okay? So Scott Mayer, he raced three races in the 2003 season for PDM Racing, uh, which was a, I think it was it was owned by Paul Dyatlovich. And of course, the PDM comes from Poor Dumb Mechanics. Which is <laughs> who'd, who'd we a, learn that from? A great story. I have no idea. I, I remember us talking about it before, but I can't remember. But you look at Scott Mayer, who was from Wisconsin, or is from Wisconsin. He participated in the first three races of the 2003 IndyCar Series season for PDM Racing, like we said. Crashed in all three races. So that was Homestead, Phoenix, and Motegi. Mm -hmm. 21st, 19th, 24th. So he crashed in all three races. Then he failed to complete rookie orientation for the Indianapolis 500 in 2003. Rookie orientation, he failed. Didn't not just didn't qualify, failed rookie orientation. Came back in 2005 with AJ Foyt Enterprises and again failed rookie orientation. Replaced by a fan favorite, Felipe Giafoni. Yes. And that was it. That was his career. Uh, did not qualify in 2002 for Chicago, the race in Chicago, and then. Saw action the first three races of 2003, did not qualify at Indy in 03, and again in 05, and that was it. But after that, he made four starts in the Indy Pro Series in 04 and 05. I think you have those on VHS somewhere, those seasons. <laughs> uh, tested with Doran Racing in 2010, uh, did the 24 Hours of Daytona in 2011, and finished 44th. The team finished 44th. I didn't even realize there were 44 teams that run the 24 hours at Daytona. Uh, he competed part-time in the Rolex Sports Car Series in 2012 and finished 24th. And that's all the information we have. His son also races, uh, and it looks like he does tin-top stuff. He's a He was signed to JR Motorsports as a 15-year-old for the 2018 season. He's currently running his son, Sam, is running. He ran the uh, Can A Pro Series in 2019 and ARCA, the Midwest Mid Nard Series East in 2020. So and won back to back championships in those. Series. Yeah, he did. So seems like a prospect coming up within uh, NASCAR, but Dad not so much luck in IndyCar and open wheel racing. And one NASCAR Sprint Cup Series start in 2012 for Inception Motorsports, 18th at Watkins Glen. There it is. So, Scott Mayer raced for the proud PDM Poor Dumb Mechanics Racing in 2013. This week's no, 2002 2003, three. sorry. This week's random split era driver of the week. We'll be back next week to recap the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.